All of this year we have been talking about grace and we've been trying to do more than just talking about it. We've tried to be practicing that, overflowing with grace and letting it pour out not just in our minds but in our hearts and in our hands and in our, in our lives. That's a good thing to do. Uh, December brings our last grace challenge and it's a, it's a very simple one but it's one that's not always easy to do and that challenge is simply to practice being present. Uh, however that might look for you, whether when you're having family over here in the next uh, few days or maybe as they're with you, you know, putting the phone aside and just being there with them, or maybe it's with someone who's hurting or going through a particularly hard time, uh, finding a way just to give one of the greatest gifts that we so rarely receive in our world today, the gift of presence. We're a distracted world. So this challenge does not come with any uh, any particular thing to do, no bracelets to wear, uh, no hashtags or anything like that. This is just a challenge for the people of God to practice the presence of God as you go, to, to be salt, to be light wherever you are. You consider perhaps that God has you with the people you'll be with this week for a reason, that he will put you in the places you are for a purpose. If we go with that mindset, it might be possible for God to use us in ways in which he's never used us before. So I have a question for you, and the question is uh, one about food. Uh, are you a weird eater? Uh, do you put weird combinations together that normally wouldn't go together? I, I, I hesitate to do this. I know how we feel about raising hands in the assembly. But um, if you wouldn't mind, just to show, if you have been known on occasion to dip your French fries in your Frosty, would you raise your hand? Do you ever do that? All right. That's, that's a, that's a, yeah. you, you may know I, I'm not a, a, a fan of Wendy's. I, uh, I, I go a different place where they don't serve the Frosty, but uh, I've known some people to do that. What about this next one? This is kind of a, a unique one, really gets people riled up. Uh, do, how many of you, by show of hands, actually put pineapple on your pizza? Now, this is an abomination, people. I'm looking at my beautiful wife, who always gets the Hawaiian pizza, just, ugh, things not made to go together. Um, and you'll find that in Scripture. That's there, there, there toward, toward the back, right by the maps. Uh, it's in the message version. Um, Maybe, maybe this last one, this is one of the, the, the most strangest ones that I know I've heard of people actually do this, and that is to put a slice of cheese on your apple pie. How many of you do this? Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. That, that, that requires repentance this morning. That, down, down front, we'll, we'll be praying for you. Uh, now, yeah, I don't really have that problem. At Chick-fil-A, all the foods go together. It's, 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 it's manna, manna and quail. It's the Lord's food. It's, it, you can't go wrong with it. Uh, whether it makes us cringe or whether it makes us hungry, uh, those things stand out because they, they kind of 
don't always go together. Everybody's got their opinion. Everybody's got their thing that they, their weird sort of mixture of, of sweet and, and salty or, or just things that don't normally go together for whatever reason we like those things. This morning we're going to talk about a, a set of, of, going to go to scripture and we're going to look at some things. We're going to see three things that don't normally go together. So if you're following along in your Bible, uh, we're going to be in, in the text of Luke chapter 2. But what we're talking about today is the series called Because of Bethlehem. And, and in this series, we're seeing how God worked, how God used the, his presence in our world, really in his world. But he, he made that appearance. And, and at this time of the year when the world's thinking about, singing about, uh, focusing on, uh, maybe they don't even know Christ, but the message is a little bit diluted. We're, we're going back to the scripture to look at what God did uh, 2,000 years ago and why it is that we sort of revolve so much of our world around his life and why it matters to us. So we're looking at Luke's account of this story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 11. Uh, let's look, at, I'm going to ask you if you bring the lights down this next clip is a pretty dark. So if, if we'll just look at how someone imagined this and then we'll jump right into the text. Uh, Luke chapter two, eight through 11. Lights down, please. of great joy which shall be to all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord and this shall be a sign unto you you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes Lying in a manger. Shalom Alechem. Alechem, Shalom. several unusual 
combinations of things that normally go together as we watch how someone imagined that story to play out. We don't exactly know how it played out. We don't even know the exact day in which Jesus was born. The scripture doesn't say. But that last scene of the video is what made me want to share that this morning. Here amongst the animals, amongst the sheep, amongst the unclean animals is this child. This child that was announced by angels. The angels and the animals coming together. These two worlds that normally do not collide coming together in one for for a purpose for a reason let's look at the scripture luke chapter 2 if you're following along luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 we're just going to take it a few verses at a time and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by nine now we understand historically we we, we know that bethlehem was a, a farming town it was used principally to raise sheep for the sacrifices needed at the temple in Jerusalem. I and mean, these shepherds had a job to do. They were literally doing this day and night. There was, there was no special reason that they were out there at night simply because there was such a, a need. In this uh, the story, the first unusual combination that we see is this. We see celestial servants meeting common shepherds. Now, when you study angels, if you've ever taken the opportunity to study the angelic beings throughout the pages of Scripture, you'll see some fascinating things and and how God uses them. Uh, But the first thing, again, that we see is the the combination of celestial servants with common shepherds. Uh, Shepherds did a dirty job. They were working with animals. They were working with uh, unclean, uh, I mean, not for the sacrifices, obviously, but they were working in smelly, dirty conditions. And they did this, as we said, to keep the sacrifices supplied. But But here what we see is these two different worlds at the beginning of the story where we see the holy coming into contact with the humdrum. The celestial coming into contact with the common, the ethereal come into, into contact with the everyday, the majestic, violently interrupting the mediocre. These two things that didn't normally go together, certainly in their culture, that the holy was reserved for the priests, the holies, the most holy place. Uh, these were separate and apart. These two things coming together didn't often happen. And keep in mind that it had been about 400 years since God pe- God's people had heard a word from the Lord, from a prophet of the Lord. It, it was a very dry time. It was an, uh, a, a very shallow time. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the field, at night, amongst the animals, a messenger of heaven appears. Now, why would God use an angelic messenger for such a glorious message and bring it to just average people, just common shepherds. What was the purpose? What was the reason? Well, we always got to be careful when we get into those why God questions. Someone last week asked me, why do you think God did this? Well, you got to be careful with that because then you got to get into the mind of God, which no one can presume to know. But my theory is I think he gave this message to average people so that the focus would be on the message of the Messiah and not on the messengers themselves. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I realize it's a little bit outside of the story, but, but I, I want to focus on something that Paul said to God's people. And, and he's pointing out how God used common, ordinary, average people for uncommon, supernatural purposes 
in the story of the gospel. First Corinthians chapter one, verses 26 through 29. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Uh, those shepherds could, t- could take no credit uh, for this part of the story. They were simply relaying a message from the angels. They were simply acting upon what the angels had already asked them to do. They were nothing special. They were nothing substantial or wise or glorious. But they, the, the focus wasn't on them. But when they were called, they went. We go back to the text, Luke chapter 2. Going back to the text, we read the next verse. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The second, the second unusual combination is that humanity encounters the holy. Now, this is not the first time that human beings have ever had an angelic encounter. But every single time a human being steps into an encounter or the presence of a holy God... The most natural reaction is what the shepherds experienced here. What was the reaction of the shepherds? Fear. Fear. I mean, they, 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 and, you know, in the video, I always imagine in my mind the angels kind of floating up above, but maybe they walked up to them in the field. But in some way, they knew this servant did not belong in the field. He belonged in the presence of God. And, and however he shone to them and appeared to them, they knew instinctively that he was not of them. Uh, turn to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. We're going to go there a couple of times in this lesson. Isaiah's very, uh, a vision which he shares of the throne room of heaven pronounces this or, or gives us an idea of what happens, what human beings experience when they are in the presence of Almighty, Holy God. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, Isaiah writes, high and exalted, and, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! This is what Isaiah cries out. A holy man of God, when he comes into the presence of the holy living God, what is his reaction? Woe to me. I'm a man of, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Isaiah was filled with holy fear because he knew he was, even though he was a prophet of God, he had sin in his life. I I picked the suit I'm wearing this morning, and and I don't know if you noticed it, but, but I have a stain on it. A silly little stain. I don't know where it came from. And, and in, the, in, in the entire suit looks good, but I noticed the stain. And, and I know it shouldn't be there, and i got to get that fixed. When Isaiah came into the presence of God, in whatever form that took, he realized there was a stain on not just his clothing, but on his heart, on his soul, on his life called sin. And he knew that that sin could not stand in the presence of a holy God. And so naturally, the most natural reaction when human beings encounter the holy is fear and trepidation. And yet God does something. He atones for the sin. Fear is the natural reaction to the holy The writer of Hebrews says that it was holy fear that drove Noah to build an ark to save his family. Uh, the, The writer of Proverbs says that fear is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. When we begin to fear him in our hearts and in our minds, then our minds are at a point where they can be reached and grow with the holy knowledge of God. Fear is what drove the early church. This is so weird. Acts chapter 9, if you're caring to follow along, Acts chapter 9. This is such an unusual picture and a highly unusual church growth strategy. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened And encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Catch this. It grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. You see, fear of the Lord isn't just the beginning of wisdom and growth for us personally. It's, It's the source of how we grow collectively. When God's people fear God and have that holy fear and reverence in their hearts, God begins to move and to act because his people, even in holy fear, yield obedience to him. Someday, you will meet your Creator. That day may happen today. It may happen this week. It may happen many months from now. It may happen many decades from now. But when you step into eternity, you will meet, as a created being, your Creator. And the Scripture defines that moment, if it's anything like any of the moments in here, as an encounter that will fill you with holy fear. And if certainly if you're not in Christ, if you have not confessed him as Lord and been immersed into his name, it should fill you with great fear. Fear is the natural reaction when human beings come into encounter with something that is holy. But God, God does something here in the text. God does something. He, he, he forms a bridge. He, he, he extends to Isaiah the coal. He, he does something from him to us. Not from, not from Isaiah to the Lord, but from, uh, from the Lord to him. From him to us. He bridges the gap. Let's look back at the text. Luke chapter 2. And the angel said to him, said to them rather, fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The third combination here is, and this one that stands out is the third combination that's the most important. This third combination is this, the fully holy becomes fully human. A Savior is born. Now, 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 don't misunderstand. That Savior should not have been a surprise. This Savior was promised all the way in Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3, that holy violet thread that points all the way to Jesus Christ, begins to wind its way through the Scriptures with a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that through you, that through your descendants... All people on earth will be blessed. A promise that extended to David. And he said that your kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom because of someone who will come, who will descend from you, David. And that that continues to wind to a lowly, poor virgin named Mary. That she was to bring the promised one in. She couldn't explain it. She didn't understand how. But this holy thread This promise was something that had been promised again and again by God long ago. So it should not have been a surprise. But in that moment, we see God not just reaching out to humans, but becoming human. The angel seeks to assuage their fears. says, I have good news that will be for all The people. You see, if we turn to John chapter 1, John describes it in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's verse 1. Skipping down now to verse 14. The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of his one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Moving down to verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Focus on this. No one. Has ever seen God. But God. The one and only. Who is at the father's side. Has made him. Known. If you could. Imagine just for a moment. Trying to picture. God. I mean the Israelites could could not have done it. There, there was such a separation. As I said there was there was the holies of the priesthood. There was the holy of holies. They, they had no idea. They couldn't even they didn't even utter the name of God. And yet from the beginning God had provided. And this is little Callian and I appreciate them letting me use him this morning. But God stepped into flesh. Think about this. Deity in a diaper. Now you talk about two things that do not go together. The Savior getting colic. The Christ crying. A humble 
innocent, pure, weak child, totally dependent on his mother and father. When, when God became a human being, holiness became human. Humanity experienced the first full human being. This is how C.S. Lewis described the incarnation. The first full human being who ever lived because he was sinless. He was without damage. He was without spot or wrinkle. He was pure. He stepped into his world, and as John describes, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This was a surprise. This was a shock. It shouldn't have been. But God came into the world in the humblest, meekest of forms. Thank you. When God... Stepped into the world using that form, we see the great love with which he has loved us. Because he was too far from us. He, we, he knew that we could not see his face, that we could not understand his thoughts, that we, that we could not speak his language. And so he stepped into our world and began to speak ours, began to communicate with us on our level. Uh, it, it, try to imagine it. You know, as a human being becoming a worm. And you want to save these worms. You want to show them how good you are. You want to become like one of them. And so you become a worm. And you understand the, the, the great humility that the, all the things which a human being loses to become like a worm. To entrust itself to other worms. This was not just an unusual combination. It was the combination we absolutely needed. We needed this combination and and what the this, the angel says, therefore unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Many people, many people want a Savior, but very few want a Lord. In our world today, many people balk at the authority of Jesus. Oh, they love the saving part of Jesus. They love the grace part of Jesus. But the angel pronounced him as both Savior and Lord. And that's the choice that we have this morning. Two unusual things, but they go absolutely together. You cannot have Jesus Christ as Savior if you are not willing to pronounce him as Lord and to obey him as Lord. So what is he to you? Is he just Savior? Is he someone that just handles the bad stuff in your life and that you go there just when you need him, but you generally refuse to live life on his terms? Or is he both Savior and Lord? Is he, he's got to be both. That's the only way to Jesus is to recognize that he is both Savior and Lord. As we wrap up today, I want to point you to one final verse in John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. His purpose to bringing a son into the world could have been to destroy the world, could have been to recreate the world and make it holy again. But his purpose, God's purpose, as appointed from the scriptures, was to save the world. May we not forget that he came to save. And in order to do that, we must Obey him as Lord.
this morning if you have not obeyed Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, he said if you, if you want to be saved, you've got to believe and be baptized, to, to be believe and be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've not done yet that, you're not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, there's no hope outside of Christ. Make him Savior and Lord today by professing him as Lord and being immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you've done that, if you've done that, but you, you've stopped sort of living like he's Lord, then the Bible says you simply need to repent, to turn away, to turn back to the Lord. If you have a need this morning on either one of those two fronts or in any other way for which our shepherds might pray for you, please come forward as together we stand and sing.